Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, Geekscapists, we've got a brand new show for you coming up right now. Our good friend Kevin Jakubowski is on the show. He's no stranger to Geekscape. He was on Geekscape like five, six years ago, talking about his brand new book, 8-Bit Christmas. Well, that book is now a film coming out on HBO Max this Wednesday. It's got Neil Patrick Harris in it. It's got a little bit of nostalgia. It's got a whole lot of Nintendo in it. And it's definitely what I'm going to be watching on Thanksgiving. Sorry, Hawkeye. I'll wait to watch the Hawkeye. Um, But yeah, we've got a great Geekscape coming up right now. So strap yourselves in. This is going to be fun. Geekscapist, thank you for joining us. Thank you for, if you're listening to this on maybe your Stitcher or your Spotify or your Apple Music or your Apple iTunes or whatever it's called, whatever podcatcher you're listening to this on, thank you so much for joining us and choosing to make Geekscape like your favorite podcast. It really means a lot to me. We're about to celebrate 15 years of the Geekscape podcast. And you know what? If you're watching this live on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, or YouTube, well, thank you as well. The chat is open if you're watching this live. And uh, you can also hit that little bell button to remind yourself when Geekscape is live or when Matt Kelly has put up a brand new video. These videos have been kicking ass. He's been doing great. You ever been like, oh, I want to know the history of the Adams family? Well, that was a great video that they put up last week. The history of the Adams family. Go to Geekscape TV over on YouTube and check that one out. That's a really damn good video. And we got a couple more surprises coming to the YouTube, but I really appreciate you all sitting here every week and talking to me live uh, for the show. And if you don't make it live, it's okay. It's all right. You're listening to it on the podcast and you can hit that little share button, send it to your friends and be like, oh my God, th- this show has been really good recently. And the listenership has reflected that. Last week, I had Kickboxer and Bloodsport filmmaker um, Mark DeSalle on. We were talking all about making Bloodsport and Kickboxer. That blew my mind. And we've got some great stuff coming up right here. If you're watching this, it's going to come up right here. Um, on December 17th, we have a 15 hour live stream to, to benefit big brothers, big sisters. 
that's a huge organization that we're really support uh, big supporters of and we're really excited to do a 15 hour live stream so, uh, almost all of the podcasts are involved we got 17 shows across the network they're all jumping in to do uh some benefit that's great matt kelly's done a good job of scheduling that and i gotta tell you the cherry on top it had to be the cherry on top because we've been around for 15 years and it's a 15 hour live stream geekscapes going live right here in los angeles um, that's right. The tickets are $15 and you're going to get a two hour show. You're going to get an hour Geekscape on stage. We got special guests. We got surprises. We got, um, all sorts of stuff. We got some little bit of, a little bit of comedy. Why would we start 15 years in? And then after Geekscape wraps, we've got our good friend, Scott Klopfenstein doing a musical set with his seven piece band. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a big party. Um, to celebrate 15 years of Geekscape and, and celebrate your support and all that. So if you're in Los Angeles, December 17th, please like come and check out the surprises. There will be gifts. It's the holidays. You're going to get a gift if you come. And you can get tickets right here at uh, tinyurl.com slash Geekscape15. So mark your calendars if you're in Los Angeles. We'd love to see you. And of course, we'll be checking for the COVID. We'll be checking for the vaccination. I just got my booster. We're going to be rocking out there so come hang out with us uh december 17th it's gonna be a fun show get your tickets at tinyurl.com geekscape15 all right any, any other little business we got la comic con coming up the fourth and fifth y'all will be there with us if you're not there in person you know i'm recording a bunch of our panels and putting them out on this very feed if you're listening to it on audio if you're just watching live and you want to be a part of that subscribe to the podcast take out your little phone Go to your little podcatcher, your Spotify, subscribe to the podcast. And when we go to LA Comic-Con, we have a handful of panels. Some are really cool. Uh, we have a Geekscape Live. We have a fantasy storytelling panel. We have a panel. <laughs> this one's awesome. We're going to take Marvel Masterworks cards from the mid-90s. Remember these? They had all the Marvel characters on them. And we're going to put them in a hat. And Matt Kelly is going to play the card master. And we're going to turn to him and say, we're going to have a panel of funny people who know their Marvel stuff. And we're going to say, card master, p- pull a card. And Matt Kelly's going to reach in there and he's going to pull out an old Ma- Marvel Masterworks card of an MCU care of, of a Marvel character that has not been in the MCU. This is like, let's like a derpy character, like a character that's kind of lame. Right. Um, and he's going to pull the card out and be like, Oh, it's, it's long shot or something from the X-Men. And we're going to have to, as a panel, the think tank is going to be like, this is how I'd adapt that character into the MCU. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's one of the ridiculous panels we have for LA Comic-Con. If you're not there in person, that panel is going to be coming up right here on the feed. So subscribe. You want to know how we would bring in, you know, some silly Marvel character to the MCU. There there have been tons of them. And uh, who knows? We'll see. All right. Uh, Comments are coming in, but I do want to get to my guest, uh, Kevin. Bolt T says, here's to another 15 years. Let's go. Hey, man. (laughs) Easy for you to say. I got to embarrass myself every day, but you know, it's not different than walking out in public. Um, my buddy, David Wilt is over on Facebook. He says the plot of the upcoming movie, eight bit Christmas sounds a lot like that old eighties movie. Uh, a Christmas story. It's about this kid. He wants this red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. Uh, that's what David said. And, um, well, maybe buddy, uh, maybe that was a big influence. I actually, I can, I can actually do something right now for you, David, to find out the answer to that very question. Like, was it influenced by the old 80s film, A Christmas Story? Um, well, that's easy. I've got the writer right here, so I might as well just bring him in and we can talk to him about that. What's up, Kevin? How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan. Good, man. Thanks for having me. 
Kevin's been on the show before a few years ago. I, I think know. this was 2015. Yeah. You yeah. It's came, been a while. You came on the show and you were like, this is my book. It's called Eight Bit Christmas. I'd really appreciate it if all of you would go out and read it. <laughs> and it's it's a very personal story for me. It is about like how I wanted a Nintendo. That's all I wanted one Christmas. And we're like, a nice story, buddy. But you know what? We all <laughs> wanted a Nintendo back then. But you know what? Our stories didn't get turned into an HBO Max movie coming out this Wednesday. That's true. That's insane. Dude, when I saw the trailer for this... I did like a double take and was like, where have I, where do I know that? Name? Where have I? <laughs> well, you've been, really, doing this, you've been doing this for 15 years. You, you've had a lot of people on the show. You can't remember all. John. Dude, in all honesty, what was great about it was I saw the trailer because we get all the press releases and stuff. And I watched the trailer. And I was like, this looks like nostalgic fun. This just looks great. Very heartwarming. And then, because we're friends on Facebook, I saw you talking about how cool it was that this movie's finally coming out. And I went, wait a second. And I sent you a message and said, hey, Kevin, forgot how we met. Uh, you should come on Geekscape <laughs> and promote the movie. And he said, Jonathan, I've been on Geekscape promoting the book that is now the HBO Max movie. 8-Bit Christmas. And I went, oh, of course. Oh, <laughs> oh man, it's all it's all good. I, I could barely remember what I was doing yeah. yester- yesterday, let alone, you know, seven years ago or whatever Well, dude, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, My pleasure. It's good to catch up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so six years ago or so, I think, I think it was six, seven years ago, six years ago, you were on the show talking 8-Bit Christmas. We were talking about, this is what was happening uh back in 2015 when kevin came on the show that episode of geekscape also included our thoughts on the first trailer for the force awakens wow Wow. (laughs) so if you want a bit of a time capsule yeah yeah we were we were giving our responses and like our feedback on the force awakens trailer when you came on the show last wow wow and that yeah what did everyone right what did everyone think Oh, we were so excited. We thought this new trilogy was going to be better than the original. We were like, oh my goodness, how could this go wrong? It looks fantastic. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with this sequel trilogy? It's got all the cool stuff. It's got the explosions and the this and the that. And then now here we are. And let's maybe talk about your movie instead, because that's still sore with us. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were all very stoked. I remember Ben Dunn was very excited. Um, well, tell me, because you, you know you were on the show to talk about your book. And the book is still available, Geekscapus. If you want to be the person who like watches the HBO Max movie, I was like, oh, I prefer the book. <laughs> That's fine. Ahead, I'll take yeah, it either on. way. Yeah. Go ahead and read the book. Um, but like, catch us up, dude, because you uh, wrote the book. And then what happened from there? When you were on the show, was it, were there talks when you were on the show that this was going to be a thing? Yeah, I had, you know, I had always, I am a, a film and TV writer, so I always envisioned this as, as becoming a movie uh, at some point, I actually sort of reverse engineered it where I, I thought I would have a much better shot of selling this as a movie if I had a book first, you know, I mean, as a writer yourself, like IP is so big and everybody wants, you know, it's very hard to sell an original spec unless it's based on a comic book or, um, you know, or a book or a magazine article. So I, I had this idea that I'd always just really loved and, these characters that I, I really wanted to, to see come to life. And, um, 
You know, I, I didn't want to have it just sit on a studio shelf, even if, it, you know, for 10 years and 15 people read it, you know, and that's, and that's it. So um, this was a chance to have, to be honest, like total creative control over a book, um, which I loved. Um, and so I had had a few smaller offers to turn it into a, a film, you know, after it was published in 2013. And just didn't really go anywhere, but there were two um, producers, uh, a guy named Jonathan Sadowski, who's also an actor, and a, a guy named uh, Nick Nantel, who had read the book and just loved it. And I just really clicked with them. Um, they really wanted to make the movie that I wanted to make. I told them how I would adapt it, what I would cut, what I would put in, how I would tell the story, you know, creating a narrator character that's looking back um, and having him tell that story to his daughter and how that dovetails with the story in the in the book, which is about a father and a son. Um, and they loved it. And we, we pitched that uh, take to a company called Star Thrower Entertainment. They had just done a really good little indie movie called Ingrid Goes West. Um, and they had yeah. done um, The Post with Steven Spielberg. And they were setting up King Richard, which is out right now, the Will Smith movie. And, and they loved the pitch. And, and they optioned the book. And, and I wrote the script on spec. Um, and then we attached this really great director named Michael Douse, who had done some movies I'd loved, Goon, um, It's All Gone Pete Tong, which is an indie that I've always loved. And he was just These are all really good indies. Like, the, like, Ingrid Grows West, that Aubrey Plaza movie is really yeah. great. And then Goon got a sequel. Like, that was yeah. Goon, yeah. It's a really, really good hockey film. It is. It is. And it's like, you know, it takes hockey seriously. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm a hockey guy, so that was always important. Uh, but, uh, and it's just got heart. Like you don't really realize it, I think, because it's you know because it's a pretty foul R-rated movie, but yeah. it's got a lot of heart to it. And and Michael Douse, Mike as a director, was you know I think just itching for something that could could showcase his his abilities to to have a lot of heart. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, so I think that's what you know connected him to the script. And then we took the script out with with Mike attached and um, ended up selling it to Warner Brothers. And uh, you know what's what's great about this is because the book is the story of like the we're in what 1985 86 the nintendo's come out and we've had tons of great nintendo conversations about the original uh snes or the original nes sorry the original uh 86 release of the of the 8-bit nes uh and I don't know if you read Blake Harris's book Console Wars about yeah. the between like that is a fantastic book. It we is. I think that's how we got connected. I think that's how we got connected. Okay. I think so. Yeah. So I, I had met Blake, and he's like, "You should meet Jonathan. So. You should do Geekscape. This <laughs> yeah. guy does the show in his. I think it's his mom's basement, and we should do it. And then you should forget uh, about it. You should forget about it for seven Jonathan years. Jonathan doesn't and remember, then, and then just come back. Yeah. So <laughs> and so. Uh, I love that era. I remember that era very well. I remember playing the game and trying to swing the controller. It wasn't until the Wii that it felt natural to swing the controller, <laughs> trying to move Mario. Um, but what you added here, and I and, and it was, and it and it hit you when you got to the trailer was that um, that kind of bookend sequence, or the or at least the narrator sequence uh, that you've got here. Um, it, that's more reminiscent of a different '80s movie than what we talked about earlier with Christmas Story. That is like The Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah, it that. is. It is a bit. It's Stand by that, Me, and um, was that an idea that you had when you were writing the book that when I adapt this, instead of just going full period piece, we open on early, you know, Christmas or pre-Christmas 1986. Um, we 
we are easy. Was the narration and the, that whole kind of framing device something that you thought about before it was a book? Yeah, I think so. I, I, if I remember correctly, I, I, I think so. And I think I, I thought about writing it that way for the book, but it just got a little complicated. It seemed, mm-hmm. seemed more suited. It seemed more cinematic than anything. Um, and, uh, so that was a change from the book to the movie, but certainly like Princess Bride, big influence, especially with that device, Sandlot, same thing. Um, you know, and obviously a Christmas story. I mean, a Christmas story, I won't beat around the bush is my favorite movie of all time. You know, Whoa. Uh, like Gene, Gene Shepard who wrote that and just, you know, some really great books has always been, you know, one of my favorites. He's a Midwest guy and he was just able to in a way that I think few other writers have to capture, um, you know, youth and adolescence from an adult perspective that can be really sarcastic and funny, but also, you know, heartwarming, um, kind of sneaks up on you. So I, I've, I've always been a big fan of his. What's funny too, is our friend Zach was on the show right around the time you were on the show and he plays Scott Furcus on Oh, no way. The Christmas story. Oh, cool. (laughs) And so, I mean, Christmas story is one of those movies that you quote well into adulthood you think about it all the time and it's in a period that you and i didn't even experience i think that movie takes place in the 1950s it's like i I think it's the 30s actually um oh you're right it is in the 30s because they're because he's got the oval teen and the wizard of oz plays such a big part yeah so i guess it's it's 1940 maybe so if that movie came out in the 80s and 50 years earlier was the setting of that. Now we've got 2021 in the HBO Max, and it takes place almost 40 years prior, yeah. which is insane to think about that 1986 <laughs> was 40 years ago. Yeah. But I got to ask you, how much of the the this, the winter of 86, the Christmas of 86, is factual when it makes it into 8-Bit Christmas, the book and the movie, and how much of it was like, hey, this would be a great sequence. I'm going to add this little bit of alliteration. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think one of the advantages of having this narrator um, tell it to his daughter is that, you know, problems I would run into because they're problems like factual dates and things. They matter to me as I'm sure they matter to you. Like when did the Billy Ripken error card come out? Well, it's the 89 Fleer, but technically it's 88. And like, you know, Obviously, Nintendo came out in 86, but it wasn't really big until like 87, 88. Isn't so that all- insane? I yeah. love that story about how they tricked the electronic stores with the Rob robots <laughs> yes, yes. to carry them. Because electronic yeah. stores were done with Nintendo. Yeah. It's and so it, crazy. And Blake's it almost was so happen. great to talk about that, you know, and just Incredible. like all that history. And so because it's a dad in this telling his daughter this story, like there's this element of he's making a lot of this up, you know, he's embellishing, he's embellishing things as you, as you do when you, when you tell stories. So using, having that device sort of allowed me to get everything that was great about, you know, the six or seven year span, cabbage patch kids, baseball cards, you know, all those things that have actual hard dates stamped to them using this unreliable narrator, you know, allows the story to, to have all those things and feel like they all happened at the same time. Um, which was helpful. What do you remember from that winter? What is the Kevin story? Like what, you know, and by the way, the audience, they love you. Uh, Bolt T says, congrats, Kevin. Like, hey, so thanks, much, man. I, like I said, like a, a Geekscape has found the old episode. I was like, yeah, Jonathan, you dumb dumb. <laughs> like he's that's totally great. been on the show and it's, a, you know, he's a good dude. Um, Kevin, what part of Christmas 86 do you remember? Or maybe it was 87 when you finally got 
Yeah. yeah to be is. honest, like I, I can't remember if it was 87 or 88. And my memory is like, really, to be honest, like it's one thing I am good at is I have a good memory for childhood so I can weave all that. But I can't remember if it was 87 or 88. I'm sure I could find out. Uh, but what I remember, and a lot of this, um, you know, worked its way into the movie. This, this movie really is a, a love letter to my childhood. You know, it's my uh, based loosely on my family and my friends growing up and the town that I live in. It's set in Batavia, Illinois, which is the town that I'm from. Um, so what is I remember. The suburb of Chicago? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, that, so, that, so yeah, the Christmas story definitely rings true on that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Wow. I know. And obviously like, all the Shermer Illinois films. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. have all those films. You've got, you've got Home Alone. I think they don't just celebrate Christmas year round where you're from. <laughs> it seems like that entire part. No, it seems like that. That, those suburbs of Chicago are just stuck in a snow globe from what yeah, I we're just, we're just There's Santas everywhere. But I mean, like John Hughes was another big idol of sure. mine growing up. I mean, I, I like I joke that Home Alone was just made for me. Uh, you know, I'm from mm. Chicago. My name's Kevin. I was exactly the same age. You know, like all of those things. It was I saw that twice in the theater when I was, you know. Nine. You're the reason it went to like. You're the reason it cracked the top ten all time yeah, box right. office when it came out. Right. Uh, <laughs> but what I remember about that time, um, what and what I think really helped formulate the story was that I think we forget that there was always one kid who got it first before yes. everyone, and so it was just this thing of like. And I remember my best friend lived next door to that kid. And like, you got to get there before too many kids are there. So that he'll be like, listen, I can only let four friends in at a time to play it or whatever. And, and like, so that went into the script. And now it's this spaz rich kid who, who has the first Nintendo and he lords it over everybody. Um, so I remember that. And I remember just all of us just really, really wanting it. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to get it, it was just like the best day of your life. It was the first time I think that I remembered something that we'd see later several times. I remember Power Rangers had the the, the Christmas sto- uh, shortage. Uh, the Geekscapists have witnessed me camp out for the Wii. The Wii. Um, I know that the other one that had the big shortage, Power Rangers did the Furbies, stuff like that. But the Nintendo, you're right, was one of those things that one kid gets in the neighborhood and he's instantly popular. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was, I, I shared a back fence with that kid. <laughs> and his parents would get him every game. And these games were $50, $60. And even the crap games where you're like, I don't, this guy, this is a bad game. You would still play it. What were what were the games that you remember yeah. were the ones that you were like, this made me a, a video game player for life? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously Super Mario Brothers and, and Duck Hunt, you know, that cartridge was just, that was that was so cool. It's Mario Brothers. Just the idea of like getting to new levels. Like the first time you got to see the underwater level in Mario Brothers, you're like, oh my god, this looks it's like not real, arcade. Looks like, like real I, life. Yeah. Even in arcades, you had pretty much like plate map based levels where maybe on like a gradius or something you would see the progression of a level, but for most of those, like the Pac-Mans and the Donkey Kongs and stuff like that, you're, you're basically, you see the map immediately and mm-hmm. you're playing just within that contained map. This is, you're right. The first time beyond pitfall, but pitfalls blocky and pitfall was kind of a little bit of a generation before us. This was the first time that it was our generation and we really started to see a world like open up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it was just, you know, there's so much imagination behind that, you know, as a kid and, you know, wanting to get better so you could just see what happens next, you know, and, and that's kind of a revelation uh, to us. 
I just heard this factoid and I heard it at the age of 42. Player two controls the ducks. Yeah, is that somebody, true? I can't believe what that. The, what is this? I can't believe that either. I we, think like what? Seth Rogen tweeted that or something and like somebody told me that and I was like, what are you talking? Because, you know, I, I mean, what? I have a movie coming out about this and they're like, you'll know this. And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, I'm, you make me feel better. I didn't. I'm glad. Dude, you didn't know either. I read that. I read that maybe a week or two ago that it was like, hey, I'm going to blow your mind. When you're a kid, obviously the kid with the light gun yeah. controls the, the the gun. Player two can control the ducks. That can't be. I was like, no way. What are you talking about? Someone's got to test. I should test it. Yeah. All I know is that when you're playing track and field, there's no way you use your feet. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way you use your feet. You got on your knees and you slammed that thing because otherwise it was too damn. Like, come on. Who actually played track on that track and field? Half those things didn't work. No. And and that's one really fun thing without spoiling the movie that, okay. that we get into the power glove like all that stuff, you know, I, I, we have a lot of fun with that because they they look cool and they were awesome, but Power Glove didn't work. <laughs> Power Glove didn't work. Uh, Bold T, now I think Bold T, I think we popped something in his head because now he's just like going off on Nintendo games that he liked. He's just going, he's saying River City Ransom, Super Spike Volleyball, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Metroid, Ice Hockey, Jackal. Let's go. Oh, Jackal was like, oh, that was the one where you're in a Jeep. Yeah. Or is that the one where there's a that's when you're in yeah, a Jeep like and a, a, tank. a Yeah. Jackal was great. I did like the the gunsmoke game. I like the some of those I like Ikari Warriors, those ones that yeah, were kind of that. like bottom up and you're kind right. of scrolling upward. Right. I always thought those were unique, except the X-Men game, which stunk hard. Remember the that. X-Men game? I don't know. Like, I don't remember that. There was I'm not talking about the Wolverine game, because the Wolverine game was a platformer and it was okay. It wasn't great. The best Marvel adaptation on the NES was Captain America and the Avengers, where you could play Captain America, Hawkeye, and then like Vision and Iron Man could come in and help you out. But the original X-Men game, which was bottom up, that game stunk hard. It was no good. Um, And sometimes you just buy a game because you thought it was awesome looking and you get it and it's not so great. Right, right. But even just the the like exploration or just like the sense of adventure of like having a new game or, you know, I remember I got a oh, game, game called, you don't give up on them. No. Yeah. Yeah. You just, and, and to see something that you never, it's like, you know, buying an album or, or watch, you know, but oh, I miss just, liner notes. Yeah. I miss no, sitting there too. with the liner yeah, notes trying yeah. to figure out what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Uh, bolt tease did say LJN ruined my X-Men video game <laughs> happiness for life. Yeah. LJN was a toy company that put its hand in video games and it just didn't really work. Um, again, going back, like what were yeah. the big ones? You said Mario Brothers. You said the Duck Hunt. Yep. Uh, I, I loved RBI Baseball. That was a big mm-hmm. one for me. Uh, and uh, I liked ice hockey more that there was just a hockey game, less that it was, I guess it was fun. I love ice hockey for sure. Uh, Contra. I liked Contra. I remember gotta that. Gotta love Contra. Yeah. And and Punch Out. I mean, you gotta go. You gotta go with punch. I like Mega Mega Man too. I was never very good. I, I, no, I, Mega Man's actually a pretty grueling game. Yeah, my cousin could beat it. I remember He's, we stayed up all night once. And Mega Man's rough. And when you first got like Super Mario Brothers two, 
and you were expecting the mechanics to be similar to Super Mario Brothers 1, and they just weren't. Yeah. And you're playing that, I guess it's Toki Toki Panic is really the truth about that game. It was a game that was shoveled into being a Mario game, but the mechanics were so different that you're playing this thing, and I just remember like trying to ride that thing across the level towards the end late stages and just thinking Super Mario 2 was so weird. I wish some a lot of those I wish that some of those characters like the villainous frog at the end would would still show up yeah. somewhere in the Mario. I think that's I mean sorry, that's Mario yeah. canon now. You got to play it. That's Mario canon. If you can include all those other ones, you can include that. Um for for me I think playing the, the that second Goonies game was oh. such an improvement over that first Goonies that you were like, see, it didn't stink. The Goonies was great. <laughs> um, and trying to figure out what the heck you were doing in Friday the 13th. Oh, wow. The Friday the 13th game, they just didn't care. They were like, we're going to make a bunch of games based on murder <laughs> properties. <laughs> hey, kids, come play this Nightmare on Elm Street game. Come play this Friday the 13th game. And you're just trying to play it like, what should I be Is doing? This? I don't know. Yeah. Jason's just randomly showing up and killing me. And then I play it as another <laughs> camper. And that happened. Those are big memories. So beyond the games, I think the important thing with the NES as explored in this movie, 8-Bit Christmas, like you said, is that social thing that that it creates for you. Yeah. It's, not just, it's not just, it wasn't just about the games back then. It was about what, Hanging out. Rela- yeah, the relationships re- like yeah. represented it. What, what were some of like the big moments for you where a life moment or maybe a, fr- a lifelong friend you made through the wonderful world of melting your brain in video games. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's lots. I've, I'm very fortunate. I have the same best friends that I've had since kindergarten. Like they're still my best friends. And so a lot of them, um, you know, are, you know, we grew up playing sports, playing video games. And I remember uh, having like an RBI baseball tournament one summer you know, just in, in, in the basement, like somebody's mom had like a swear jar down there because we were getting so mad and swearing. She brought it. She came yeah, and installed it yeah, like yeah, mid-game. Yeah. She's like, I'm sick yeah. and tired of yeah, hearing. Yeah, sick of this. this. I'm going to uh, profit off of this. That was great. You know, in somebody's unfinished basement with there's no air conditioning, but the basement's a little bit cooler in the summer. and It's got like carpet on the walls. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, so I, I paneling. Paneling was huge. Paneling was good. That, too. Like, just drywall. Was, yeah. yeah big in the 80s like if you knew that if that thing had like fake wood paneling <laughs> you know what i mean like if that if that basement had a nintendo and fake wood paneling oh, in there you're, you're gold you're rocking out yeah and that couch yeah. is weird yeah oh it's got but, you gotta have a weird couch down there wow that's great we super uh, nostalgic yeah and just like you know sleepovers and things like that i mean just just all that stuff and and having a friend who would get a new game or I, I actually had one friend who never got his parents never let him get a Nintendo, uh, ever, ever. And 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 the first thing that he did when he got to college, you know, ten years, twelve years later, whatever, was buy a Nintendo, an original, an eight bit, an original one. He's yeah. like, I got some catching up. Yeah, I got some catching up to do. So, he didn't yeah. know that. I mean, by that time, there's emulators, but he's like, no, 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 no. Nope, I need to be I want, able to I taste want the real it. thing. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, Bolt T, he's loving this conversation. He's over on Twitch and he says, my teacher once asked the class, what is the hardest thing they've ever had to do? And my answer was to beat Dr. Wiley in Mega Man 2. When she asked how I did it, I just said bubbles. <laughs> I was so dumb. <laughs> no, you weren't dumb. That's you great. You were a champ. You were, you were, That's, you were resilient. Hard to do. Yeah. That, I, I seemed to, I certainly never was able to beat Mega Man I think. I think Rygar was the one 
with Rygar, it was the one where there was no like code or save state in okay. the game. And that and it and what I liked about Rygar was it was an, a, a side scrolling platformer, and then you got into a, a like a little bit of a of a top down trenches exploration area, and once you go into a cave in that area, you are then back into the side scrolling aspect of it. And <laughs> remember those like balloons on the end of like. Uh, strings that you just bounce back and forth like a yo-yo and you just pop them up and off, off oh, your yeah. palm. That was like the weapon in Rygar. Weird. It felt like a giant thing that you know they, that you were just kind of throwing back and forth and obviously there was Bionic Commando and stuff like that but I, I always had a soft spot for Rygar as far as 8-Bit goes because it had a cool fantasy world. It felt a little bit darker than something else. Um, cool. It was fun. There was always the kid and we're going to talk about this kid who was a Sega kid. Right. unapologetically right and he had a superiority complex on being different did you have <laughs> that kid in your neighborhood i think every neighborhood had a you're a nintendo person i'm a sega master you system kid i mean because like nintendo 87 88 89 like i don't remember even seeing a sega like i don't even remember that being a thing anywhere like mm-hmm. for me at least in in, in my neighborhood um it wasn't until the- we, we ran them out. <laughs> yeah, you don't belong here. It's a Nintendo town, boy. Don't come in here with that. <laughs> did you have a Sega guy, or were you the yeah. Sega guy? No, it wasn't the Sega guy, but I did like the Sega stuff because Sega, for some reason, they felt like the colors were richer. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure but, they were. Um, David Level, my neighbor one block over, was a Sega guy, and I would go over there, and he had. He was also the only Atari person too. Like okay. we didn't have an Atari. We had the. Yeah. Um, I think the Magnavox Odyssey or whatever the Atari oh, wow. type clone yeah. was like, yeah. we didn't have Pac-Man. We had a game where you're a mouse instead of Pac-Man. Like it is a lawsuit. Uh, you're a mouse instead of Pac-Man and the ghosts are cats. <laughs> and then getting what would the equivalent of the power pellet does turns the mouse into a dog. Huh. So that, yeah, that power pellet has some level of like, radioactive something because suddenly this mouse is turning into a dog like that it was probably like a fucking john carpenter sequence like that thing turns into the thing and now it's eating cats and killing them but that was the pac-man clone that i remember playing that was my first video game was whatever that game was it was a pac-man clone and um i remember we loved nintendo we had the nintendo i wasn't great at it it wasn't until the game boy that i really like had a system of my own the Game Boy was the system, my, my my first real system. I didn't have to share it with my brothers. I'm playing this thing. Got to do yeah. Tetris. Went nuts on Tetris and Super Mario Land and, and all those games. And then, uh, but David Level was the guy who had the Sega Master System. And the colors were rich. You ended up playing games like Space Harrier, which blew my mind. I think we were they were. I think Shane O'Hare was talking on Geekscape Games about a game on the original master system that was ported from the arcade where it felt like an alien clone and there were alien looking aliens walking around the level and you can play as a male human, female human or a duck headed creature. Wait, was, was that? They, they could not figure it out over at Geekscape games. So if you're able to crack this code or is that a game to called Xenophobe, I thought it was Xenophobe because in xenophobe you can go into the tubes and change levels you can go yeah. up and down into different levels and it's a side scroller right i yeah. th- i want to say it's xenophobe i because um, i for some bizarre like 
I wasn't like, I wasn't that cool in terms of like knowing lots of games or like having, or, or like testing it's them out. I was, I, was yeah. pretty, I was pretty like tried and true. And, and my grandma somehow got me this game called Xenophobe. And uh, none of us had ever seen it, and we put it in, and <laughs> I didn't think it was good. No, no one thought it was any good. Xenophobe. I don't think it's good. Yeah. I think Xenophobe got sold on the idea that it was like a massive alien ripoff. Because, right. dude, it's straight up Xenophobe. So, Mac, uh, so, so, Shane O'Hare, I had to tell you, uh, I like to listen to the podcast on the network when I go jogging, and sometimes I'll find myself in a public park or on the street. And I'll suddenly start yelling words out loud <laughs> in response to the Geekscapists. And yeah. I definitely last week was listening to Geekscape Games and Shane is describing xenophobe and I'm yelling xenophobe out loud. And there it's are people xenophobe. around. Yeah. Xenophobe. And they're oh, like, this guy's guy nuts. Yeah. Um, but yes, Yeller. Shane, the game is xenophobe. It was not good. It was sold on the fact that it was an alien looking <laughs> clone um and i'm glad it but it was a co-op it was a game that you could play with your friends so that that helps and mm-hmm. it was a, and i think it went to sega first when it left that's arcade it went to yeah. sega first it's interesting because it was definitely on nintendo but uh but yeah xenophobe i'll still my buddies will still be make fun of me having that game because of how bad it was well you, you just have to adapt it and la- you'll laugh sure. all the way to the yeah point. I'll, I'll laugh my way to a major motion picture that'd be great leads me to a question <laughs> Knowing that you're the 8-bit Christmas guy. And you were allowed to write the script. You wrote it on spec, though. Was that scary as hell to like put no, up like months? Anything that I've ever written that's been any good or gotten made has been just doing it on spec. Because when you're doing it on spec, you're just like... All in. Forget, forget everybody else. You just write it for yourself. And and to me, that's the best way to do it. So, uh, yeah. I mean, a little scary, I guess. Because, you know, I'm spending six months of my life on this and not getting paid. Uh, so that's always scary. I mean, luckily I'm working on, I, I think at the time I was doing a pilot for Disney or something at the time, but, but uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's always scary, but, but it was good. I just, I had, it had been long enough since I wrote the book that I was able to just not be precious about anything that was in mm. it and, and step out and just like, I knew the story enough in my head that I could, I didn't have to reference the book and that allowed me to be like, Oh, well, I don't need that part. I don't need those chapters. I don't need that through line because it doesn't work for the movie. And I've already written it in this book. So I've already, I have that thing that exists already. I have those scenes that I think are funny. So I don't need to be precious about them because they already exist and and I don't need them in in the story. So it was very easy to just like cut lots of things from the book that didn't fit in the movie. do you find yourself doing a little George R. R. Martining where <laughs> when you adapt it to the screen, you're doing a little bit of course correction on any moments or trying yeah. to do that? No, that exactly. Um, and you know, I think as, as you're writing it, you don't really think about that, but, but ultimately that's exactly what you're doing. It's just, it's just making it better. Um, and, and you know, this, you just, the, the more you write, the better you get, the older you get, you just become ultimately a better writer. I think, you know, um, until your brain starts to go until then, your brain starts to go you got to do it before you, yeah um, i had to cut 10 pages out of a script and the agency we're working with with the actors we want to get to we want to hit a certain budget number and they're like jonathan like this this script honestly has to go down by 15 pages and i and then there was a silence on the phone like they were worried i was gonna be like <laughs> absolutely not absolutely. Da, da, da. you're like okay. yeah, da, da. and i was like yeah, and I know where they're going to come from. Uh, the truth is, when I was writing the script, 
the many times I've written the script, I knew it had to be shorter. I knew we had to get to it quicker. Um, I can't out loud say this to you guys, but I couldn't figure out the puzzle right, to do it. Right, and right. And, and with it, but it, but at that point, the last time I touched the script was January, February, we'd attached an actor and they had notes and that was great. And I didn't touch it again until two weeks ago. And those months, like you said, those 10 yeah. months, I was like, Oh, I'm chainsawing this. Like this is easy. Like, yeah. it, it, I don't think I, you, I don't think you should be. You know, you, I don't. You can't be precious when other people are involved. If you want to be precious, go write yourself a diary. Yeah, no, totally, or a book. <laughs> Were you precious with the diary that is a bit Christmas? The novelization. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I was because I always just knew that um, you know this was you know you're flexing a different creative muscle and and with a book you just have so much more room. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a film, rightly so, has to be a certain amount of time, you know. Um, uh, but I, I had had, um, you know, I think as working as a screenwriter and a TV writer allowed me to, you know, have that muscle memory of knowing how to structure a book to a certain extent. But then the book gave me the flexibility to, you know, go off on little tangents or, or, uh, or whatever. But I think, and as I'm sure you know, it's just, when, when it's feeling right and when you're, when it's working, like it's great. And that was the whole book was just like that. Like every day wow. it was just fun. Uh, How many, what, what did you start with? Did you say, I mean, on the book and I, I've been asked about doing a book. I've been asked about this and that. I don't think it would be a fiction book. I don't think I have that. I think it would be a nonfiction something. I don't know. It'd be, it may be something funny or, or, you know, a lot of podcasters take transcriptions of their podcasts and they put work yeah. that into a book. Yeah. I don't think I want it. I don't know. I don't think a lot of people want to be like, Oh, what did Jonathan think of the MCU? Who cares? But, um, I do have had guests on here that drop knowledge and I would be kind of open to like, be like that one time. Like we had a great piece of knowledge about storytelling from this yeah. person or from that person. It wouldn't have come from me, That'd but be I think it'd be fun. So I, I think something like nonfiction, but yeah, I just have to be, yeah, I just have to find somebody who'll help me with the transcription. I, I mean, I would pay for a massive transcription and then we would just go for needle, look for those needles in the haystack. But ultimately with a book, you haven't, did you start with an outline knowing that there's a literal level of diary to it, dear diary or memoir to eight bit Christmas. What was your process of, building did you carve down or did you build out or at one point did you build out and then find a way to carve down maybe the screenplay was carving down i think i think uh the only piece of screenwriting advice or writing advice that ever has made sense to me or that i would ever give is that you kind of just have to know your ending so as soon as i knew kind of what my ending was and how and i won't spoil it but but how that would work um then i i had a goal and i could get to there and and at least for the novel um, you know, I, I had, I had these characters for sure. I had, I had, you know, this kid, Jake Doyle and his little sister who was way smarter than him and his, his parents, his dad, who just wants him to play outside and his mom, who's this overworked teacher, because they're all loosely based on my own family. And then you have these friends in this, in this town and, 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 you know, there were some plot points and things that once I got to that, that could give it a motor. For instance, um, the big, the big thing that happens in this is that, this rich kid, Timmy Keene, uh, was the only kid with a Nintendo in town. He makes kids give him gifts to let him into his house to play. And well, he gets so mad playing Kung Fu that he jump kicks his own TV. It 
falls on his little annoying dog and crushes the dog. Oh my god, that's that's, that's a risk. Uh, yeah, it's a you, risk. It's you a big killed a dog in a film. Killed well, taking a risk. Just watch okay, the movie. Okay. Taking uh, a risk. And Big so, just yelled out O'Doyle rules, which is <laughs> a little bit of O'Doyle in that character, perhaps. I was thinking more like Francis in in yes. that. He's, in, he's, in he's just sort of this ADD kid before we knew what ADD was. Sure. Uh, and uh, anyway, the town goes crazy because they blame video game violence for this horrible dog crushing incident. And, uh, and they ban video games. They ban Nintendo for Christmas. So that wow. gave the kids, you know, some kind of conflict, something to work up against. And then that comes out that there's a, um, a wreath selling contest uh, for the Cub Scouts and, and the grand prize is a Nintendo. Um, and so that gave it a motor. That gave it some, somewhere to go. Like these kids yeah. now have a way to get their Nintendo. Um, and, and so figuring out those little elements helped a lot. And, and I think somehow I just, and that was your outline. That was pretty close to the outline. You're putting that in your outline or on, are you putting that on cue cards? You're putting that in an outline. I think I just wrote a bunch of notes. I don't do the cue card thing. Like I, 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 sometimes I'll put it up on a wall, but I'll just be like, everything gets too mushy. Right. like, I'm like, what I do, I do that sequence approach where I'm like, let me put the big pieces Mm-hmm. And I know what has to happen in each sequence, which is a which is just a broken down version of a save the cat anyway. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I'm ready to to put it into a final draft or into a screenwriting software, I erase all the ten, all the big sectional divisions, allowing giving kind of giving the script a chance to become fluid. Oh, cool! And and so that the the, the remnants of the three act structures and the sequences are there. But I give the script permission to fatten or, or tighten in some areas to breathe a little. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, totally. Because, I mean, you have to – that's where you find all the comedy or that's where you find the characters. Like you just need mm-hmm. some room like, you know, a joke at the start of the scene, whether it stays or not, will help you understand that character. And you need sort of that fluidity to be able to to do that. Like if you're too rigid, at least I find right. – um, if it's too mapped out, um, you know, you set yourself up to just, you're just trying to hit this thing and you're trying to put yourself in a box. And It's a little mad libsy. Yeah. And, and if in, I, I, the, the places where I concentrate on characters is like entrances and exits, like Bugs Bunny does not enter the same, enter or exit a room the same way that the Tasmanian devil does. Sure. And Jer- Jerry does not enter or exit a room the same way that Kramer does. So if you're thinking, especially now with a, like, the concentration on diversity or the concentration on like open casting choices like Hollywood does. I just saw that Ghostbusters Afterlife. I thought it was phenomenal. I love that movie to death. I think you should see it. As a yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Loves the eighties. Um, it is such a, a love letter to, well, so, so many things, including our, uh, the original Ghostbusters films, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a really strong movie. Uh, and it was so well written, but uh, I think about just how strong if you, if you can define how uniquely a character enters or exits a scene, then like you said, like there are immediate, you immediately know that person. Um, and it has nothing to do with race. Sure. It has nothing to do with image. It has nothing to do with the beauty of the character. I just, I'm horrified by that. Like you're going to end up writing something that ends up as like a Twitter threat, like a Twitter account, you know, that Twitter account where there was like a bunch of, screenplay examples of how women were introduced in scripts. Do you remember that Twitter account? No, that I was don't, like, no. she's hot, but doesn't know it. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, you've read like so many bad descriptions right. of characters. 
that are based on like real like kind of sexist or like sure. really lame stereotypical stuff and so i was like okay jonathan if you can just concentrate on how a character enters or exits a scene or how we first see them and then how they're wearing either what they're wearing or how they're keeping themselves then we know whether that character is an uptight or that sure. character's loose or that character's fun or that character's fast or that character's in a hurry or that character's chilling or that character is serious or that character you know what i mean like these are all things that will also educate an actor's performance mm-hmm. yeah you know? that makes and, sense and i'm kind of just sticking to that stuff because i'm i was so scared that like you're gonna write something so bad that it ends up on that freaking tw- it gets a twitter account of its own like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's really i'm petrified by it i don't know that's these little tricks i give myself like yeah no you have to you have to yeah good one I like that. And so when you were a kid and you killed this dog. <laughs> it, that never happened. None of that ever happened. <laughs> no. You know it was coming. Yeah. You no, no. I was going to be a jerk about that. Um, you have a kid now. I do. I have two. You have two kids now. I do. Yeah. And you did not get them by somebody spilling water on you. <laughs> no. No, I did not. I don't, I don't know how this happens. I don't have a kid. I don't know how they are made. But you have kids. And did you have them when you were on Geekscape the first time? No, no. Yeah, I was, so I think that was I think I was writing for School of Rock then. So I didn't we didn't have no. Uh, my daughter, my actually my that's how long this process has been to make this movie. My first phone call with the producers that I mentioned, Jonathan and Nick, uh, was supposed to be uh, January nineteenth of uh, twenty eighteen. My daughter was born that morning. So, so we didn't have the didn't have the call. Uh, I had it a few weeks later, but my daughter's going to be four in January. You wow! Know? So, like, that's how long that's your eldest it, your eldest daughter. Yeah. Yes, uh, and and just of the producers of this movie, I think there's been four kids born during trying to make this movie. Like, it's, wow. it's crazy uh, just how long it's it's taken. Um, it's and really been crazy. How much was did fatherhood or impending fatherhood? How much of that did do you start? Did, like, because you wrote this movie as someone who did not have kids about yeah. being a kid. No, yeah. you wrote the book. You wrote the book Book's as someone first. who didn't have kids about right. being a kid. Right. Then it's now you're approaching the movie, and yes, you already probably had this framing device of the uh, the father narrator coming in. How much did the feelings and personal things that you were going through then seep into that movie? That's because I saw question. the tra- I, I saw yeah. the trailer and I found it to be very sincere. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I mean, it was. It would have been very easy to discard this thing as like, oh, they're just doing like a Hallmark oh, yeah. version no, yeah. of and, of prince, with Princess Bride framing device, and it's Hallmarky. And so, right. no, this. And believe me, I know that that's coming. Like, I will get that no matter what. Like, I'm I'm debating whether to just have my phone off or on on Thanksgiving. You really think that somebody's going to compare this to a Hallmark movie? Oh, I don't know. I I just know it's never. I'm super proud of this movie. I think it's going to yeah. be great. Like if you like the trailer, the movie's 10 times even better. Okay. Um, and we have a we have a show here on the network called Christmas 365 where they just talk about Christmas literally around the, the, the <laughs> Wow. I, I don't know. Wow. I've wanted to cancel it for a long time, but, Matt, <laughs> but I don't know what Matt Kelly would do if I canceled that show. He would be so he'd be despondent. He uh, loves Christmas so much. I love Christmas too. I mean, that's a big reason I wrote the I just love thinking about it. I love thinking about Christmas. I love Christmas. I, you know, I, I'm excited to go back to Chicago to see my family for Christmas in a few weeks to answer but your question. You, yeah, to did answer, you, 
did fatherhood, impending fatherhood, seep into this rewrite? Yes, I think so. It, it has to. Um, you know, my daughter and my son are one and three. So, I mean, it's hard to, you know, the the daughter in this movie is 10. Um, so it's a little different, but, but it, but it does, it, it, it matters. And, and I think, um, one of the things that you'll get from this movie is, you know, the realization as an adult of, of what your parents did for you and, and how it's not until you're adult an adult that you realize just what they went through for you, um, mm-hmm. and, and how they helped you and how they helped try to give you good Christmases and how ultimately that Nintendo doesn't matter. Um, you know, don't spoil um, the movie. <laughs> uh, did you, did you have a good, do you have, you have a good relationship with your parents and yeah, were, there, yeah. were there parts that were there Christmases that you were disappointed by that? Like, were there lessons that you learned where you're like, I did not get that gift. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think that's just, those are good life lessons and, and I'm still very close with my folks and my sister, they were all out for, we had, there was an LA screening of the movie just on Saturday. So they were all here for that. And it was a dream come true to have them out here, um, uh, to, to see that. And, um, but you know, I mean, uh, you know, in writing the book and the movie, you just, you think back to your folks and kind of the, the lessons that they taught you and, um, you know, just what it took to try to give you a good Christmas. Cause, cause that was sometimes hard. Um, did, did your did your family members when they saw this movie the screening uh, the the premiere? Um, do they recognize themselves in the characters on screen? Do they have any any beef with some of that? Yeah, no, because I, I mean we all write our family right, right, friends into our films. Yeah, I I mean, but at this point they're pretty used to it. I I did a show called Play by Play before this, three seasons of that, and the the folks in that were loosely based on my parents too, and. So, I mean, they, they get it and, 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 uh, but I think my, both my parents, I mean, Steve Zahn plays the dad in, in, uh, in the movie. And I think my dad got a kick out of that. I think Steve really related to that character and, you know, he's just, he it is the, the character is, is constant. The house is constantly under construction because he's just mm-hmm. like redoing the house, which is exactly <laughs> what my dad did. Our house was just always under construction. Like the, the. Post That's why you had the drywall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had that drywall. Exactly. Like my my, if I smell sawdust, like I'm like I'm a kid. Like I'm just like a child again. Like that's that's what I relate sawdust to. Um, so my dad got a big kick out of that, and 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 June Diane Raphael, who played uh, the mom. You know, her mom was a teacher, and my mom was a teacher, and so I think they both kind of related to that, and I think they got a kick out of it. I hope so. Anyway, I hope, I hope they're not uh, upset with it, but. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, and and you play. I mean, these are sweet movies. This is a love letter movie. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Without being sappy. I mean, that's the trick, right? Like you don't want to be sappy, and I and I think that this threads that needle um, uh, quite well. So I'm I'm happy about that. I'm finishing a uh, Geekscape. I'm finishing a short. The next Geekscape short. It's a nine minute short, but it's it's based on my mom. Oh, cool. And she's doing artwork for the beginning. The artwork has a little animated opening, and then the the end credits have an animated image that kind of right rises. And so I had, my mom's a painter, and so I wanted her involved in that artwork. And so I showed it to her, and halfway through the movie, she's like, "Juanito, she took her like me." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, mom. And I was and I was like, "Oh yeah, I about that, mom." Um, yeah, the there's there's two actors in the movie and a live rat. 
and it's really this woman and a rat the entire movie and <laughs> yeah it's it's you mom <laughs> it's you and she's like i do not talk like that do i <laughs> and you know i didn't pause it the mo- the woman continues the actress continues to talk like, like mom. my mom and i was like mom yes you talk like that <laughs> you have been in this country longer than i've been alive and somehow your <laughs> mexico your accent from guadalajara is <laughs> come out you gotta keep that a, accent. you gotta keep i mean she just I don't know what's up, but um, I love That's my cool. mom. It, it was easy enough to write that character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, you know, but it's dangerous. I wrote my father into a, the film we shot in Brazil a few years ago, and that movie's a bit more of a drama and a bit more of like a love letter. I don't, I don't think my dad's seen that movie. And really, he, what's, it, he, what's it called? That movie's called "Crosshair the Cowboy." It's a, it's a heart of the cowboy. It's a country music film, but at the beginning, it does have an accident, and it, and it replicates the accident. That my, I had an older brother who was killed in a car accident, and and I think that, and I told my dad I had a pretty insane experience on that set. Or I was there; it's another director's set, so I didn't have a whole lot to do. So I actually started writing another movie. And as I'm stepping off set, no, you don't want me on a set. You don't. You don't. I, there's nothing I can do if, if I'm not directing, and I can barely no, do that. You don't. Tricky. You don't want me on it's there. Tricky. Yeah, I, I know. And I'm I'm stepping off this set. At Guy's movie, and if you Geekscape is a visitor to Comic Con, you know Guy. He hangs out. This he's filming another movie, right? They just wrapped today. Congratulations, Guy! They just shot another movie in Sao Paulo. Um, and I'm walking out of this set. I don't know if I've told this story on Geekscape. I'm, I'm writing this movie, and this was I was going through my separation. This is 2016, a year after meeting Kevin. Uh, and I'm in so just outside Sao Paulo. And we're shooting this movie and there's a scene where these these young kids are going to get in a fight. One of them is going to storm off in a car and, and he ultimately dies. And later on, the movie flash forwards 10, 15 years later, and one of them is a famous musician. But he's been writing. But he's been, he got his fame by playing his brother's songs and he's out of songs. And now he has to kind of have a little bit of a Jerry Maguire come to Jesus. Who mm-hmm. am I moment? It's a nice drama. It's really beautiful. Sounds music. great. The music is phenomenal in this movie. I don't know if you can find it digitally in outside of brazil or not but it's done great in brazil awesome and so i'm on set and i'm like let me get out of here i'm just underfoot this whole time and i walk out of the location downstairs and there is the kids are doing their argument scene so one of them can storm off and and i walk out and my my older brother's car that he died in is sitting in the parking lot oh wow and i go whoa whose car is that and somebody goes that's the car that the brother drives in the scene. And I go, what? Cause I sure as hell didn't write that into the film. Wow. <laughs> and I turned, you know, Guy shakes loose and I, I go, Hey Guy, uh, that's the picture car for the accident. And he goes, yeah. And I go, Guy, it's a different color, but that that's the VW 1970s VW bug that my brother had in his accident that this scene is based on. And he goes, do you want me to change it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. It was, wow, I'm not, wow. yeah, no, these things, oh, as it come to rest me, these things yeah. are serendipitous. These things yeah. happen. Like when you make art, when you tell stories from yourself, like these things happen. And, yeah. And, and that scene is in the movie. And, and that's a good story. I don't, I think that's why my, my father hasn't seen the film. It's just because it would be tough. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to see that sequence. It's a, it's a rough sequence, but, um, it is it is the movie that I wrote. Based, you know, that's a Guy and I wrote based on that little story, based on the, the thing that happened. Um, but he'll watch the next one. I'll check that out. He'll that watch the next great. one. Uh, well, Kevin, listen, 
your movie comes first. And Geeks gave us, this is what you got to do. You got to watch this 8-Bit Christmas. It's coming out this Wednesday, November 24th on HBO Max. If you're listening to this episode late, you still got the HBO Max. You got to go and you got to go watch it. You know, I, I hope it stays on HBO Max. I get worried a little bit with the HBO Max because they'll do this thing where they'll release like the Suicide Squad or Dune, mm-hmm. but it's a limited window or they'll put like they'll bring back like the Tim Burton Batman movies, but it's a limited window. And then they figure it out. And like, I think that's to help their Blu-ray sales or something. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. I, this this definitely will. Like this was before and I don't need to get into the whole sure. um, studio thing, but this, this will, cause it's essentially an HBO max original. It's a new line film, but new line absorbed HBO max. It's not going anywhere. It'll be on HBO max forever. <laughs> okay. So uh, it, it definitely will be there through Christmas geeks gave us <laughs> and that, yes. you know, if, well, that if, much we know. Yeah. if you watch this for St. Patrick's day, you're weird. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> if you're like, I'm going to roll up, on St. Patty's Day, or you know what, kids? It's Easter. Let's get around and let's watch this Christmas Halloween movie. time. No, it's eight bit Christmas. Watch this movie whenever the heck you want. All right, Geeks Gabus. But the main point is, you watch this movie. It's on HBO Max this week, uh, November twenty fourth. You're gonna watch. It's got Neil Patrick Harris, Steve Zahn, and our good buddy uh, Kevin wrote it based on his book. Um, this is, dude. It's so cool to have you back here. And, Thanks and so much for having me. It's, it's great like, to talk uh, to you. You've returned <laughs> successfully. Sure. Not bad. Okay. Not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Geekscapist, I want to remind you one last time that uh, we're doing a live show here in Hollywood, December 17th. It's going to be it's gonna be fun, or it's going to be a complete disaster. Either way, you're not going to want to miss it. If you're in L.A., uh, give us some – come get your tickets, tinyurl.com slash geekscape15. If you're not in L.A., well, you should probably just subscribe to this feed because it's the last hour of our 15-hour live stream, so you're going to end up watching it. Um, it's going to be a lot more fun in person. We've got gifts to give away from a lot of partners. We've got Skybound Entertainment giving some stuff away. So there will be free prizes and things like that and some celebrity guests that maybe you'll be able to meet them in person. It's a 65-seat theater. Like, where are they going to go? There's nowhere for them to hide. Like, if I, you know, you'll be able to walk right up to them and be like, hey, I loved you on Geekscape or whatever. You should host Geekscape yourself. Whatever you want to tell them. It's the 15th anniversary surprise show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, And keep your eyes peeled for that stream coming up on the 17th. And I think we have a Mario Kart tournament on this channel coming up this Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. I, I don't think I have the time to take part. But some of the Geekscapers are going to be playing Mario Kart right here on this channel. So keep subscribing to our Twitch channel uh, and keep telling your friends about Geekscape. Um, And again, tell your friends about 8-Bit Christmas. It's out on HBO Max this week. Um, Kevin, thank you so much, brother. Thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. Really, really enjoyed talking to you, man. I hope you've enjoyed your Geekscape. I have. (laughs) Geekscapers, tell your friends about us. And uh, over and out, don't hate create, okay? Peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.